Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of God's Word to which we draw our attention is our Gospel reading for today from Luke chapter 19. Please rise as we hear the beginning portion of that text. After Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he came near to Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead, saying, Go to the village ahead of you. When you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You will say this, The Lord needs it. Thus far the text. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. Make us holy through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. I need $50,000. Now, maybe when you hear that, you're going to put the best possible construction on it and say, well, why do you need it, Pastor? Maybe in your mind you're thinking, well, maybe he needs it for some really unexpected medical bills. Or maybe he needs it to help out a family that's in dire need. Or, or maybe he needs it, well, for whatever he needs it, I'm sure he has a good reason. But what if I were to say, I need $50,000 because I want to take an amazingly luxurious vacation on a remote South Pacific island. Well, then you might start to wonder if I have my, my needs and my wants confused. I don't really need that. And that's what our sin-tainted minds tend to do. We tend to get our, our needs and our wants confused at times. And really, when you think about it, our needs, when it comes to our physical needs, they're pretty basic. Food, water, shelter, clothing. Everything else really is just icing on the cake. Today we're looking at a statement from this passage in Luke that addresses one thing that Jesus needed. But we're going to take that statement and we're going to see if we can apply it to other things from this account of of what we call Palm Sunday and see how exactly it is that these things are vital for, for them to happen. The Lord needs it. Jesus needed that colt to ride into Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen at the end of the week. He knew that he was going to be betrayed. He knew he was going to be arrested and tortured and and crucified. He knew this was his final trip to Jerusalem. And so he also knew that there was one particular prophecy that hadn't been fulfilled yet, that if it was going to be fulfilled, would have to be fulfilled on this day. From Zechariah chapter 9, he writes... Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and brings salvation. He is humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now you would think that Jesus, the son of God, the king of the universe, would be shown a little more honor, a little more pomp. Perhaps, right? I mean, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on this triumphal entry 
on a cult? Well, that would be comparable to having the President of the United States show up for an important meeting driving a a beat-up, old, rusty, subcompact car. But God had already said through Zechariah that the promised Messiah, the King, would come on a donkey. In fact, on the colt of a donkey. Not a grand white stallion showing all kinds of of, uh, importance, but no, on this lowly colt of a donkey. So Jesus needed the colt. And Jesus needed that colt not just to fulfill a prophecy, but also to show his humility. King Jesus needed to show once more that he had come to this earth in humility. Think about his entire life. It was lived in humility. We heard that in the epistle reading that Paul said Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Now, the primary way that Jesus showed his humility was that he didn't always make use of all of his divine powers. Of course, we see him using that power in this passage. He knows to send the disciples ahead to a particular village, and he knows that there's going to be a cult tied up there. He tells the disciples what to say when the owners question why they're untying it. And he knows that when the disciples say the Lord needs it, that the owners are going to to allow them to take the colt. Jesus was showing that he truly was the king, that he was the promised Messiah. You and I, if we had lots of power, what would we do with it? Or consider how you make use of whatever power that that you do have right now. What's our inclination about how we might or how we do use the power that we have? We're at least tempted to use that power to benefit ourselves. We tend to be kind of selfish about how we might use that. We misuse it according to how God has given it to us. Humility is not a virtue that that comes naturally to us. When we're tempted to be power-hungry, prideful people who, who only want to advance ourselves above everyone else, look at Jesus. He is the example, the example of humility. And also look to Jesus. Look to him to forgive you for all of the times that you, that you get puffed up with your pride. The Lord needed the colt to show his humility and also to fulfill that prophecy from Zechariah. He needed to show his identity, that he is the promised Savior, the promised Messiah. And the Lord also needed to receive the praise and the honor of the people that day. Now, don't get me wrong when I say that Jesus needed the the praise and the honor that day. It's not like he needed it to boost up his fragile ego. That might be how we think about needing someone to, to praise us, but not Jesus. No, he needed that praise and honor because he is the only one who is deserving of it. It was rightfully his. 
the picture that we have painted for us in this account and in the other gospel accounts about this this Palm Sunday is it paints a pretty spectacular picture. Each one of the gospels presents a little bit of a different picture. For example, in John's gospel, he talks about that there were actually two crowds that day. There was one crowd that was moving along with Jesus as they approached the city. And then there's another crowd that's coming out of the city that meets up with them to to lead the whole entourage into Jerusalem. What a what a spectacular sight. All the people shouting and and praising Jesus had to have been quite the quite the boisterous mass of people. And what the people were shouting nailed it. At least when it comes to who Jesus truly was. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, Luke says. Now, were the people simply getting carried away? Were they getting swept up in the emotion of of the crowds? Not really crying out something that they believed or that they understood? Did they get who Jesus was? Or were they just happy? Well, these people knew what they were saying. They were confessing that Jesus was their king, that he was the Messiah who had been promised long ago. They knew that he was the one that God had promised to send to them to be their savior. The one who comes in the name of the Lord. That was actually a way of talking about the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. And so these people knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew he was the savior. But it's that that savior part that that might have been a little bit murky. What kind of salvation were the people looking for? Well, in many of the people's minds, they needed saving, they thought, from the oppressive Romans. They wanted Israel to be restored to its former glory so that it was, again, a, a wonderful, powerful kingdom. They wanted to be God's great people once again. They wanted a king who would reign, yes, but who would reign over a worldly kingdom. So at the end of the week, when Jesus was headed for the cross to a shameful death, well, what kind of king had he turned out to be? Where was this conquering King, Where was the king of glory? Where was the king who was supposed to conquer the Romans instead of being killed by them? Now, I'm sure that there were many people in that adoring and shouting crowd that, that did understand who Jesus was, that he was the savior king who came to conquer sin, death, and the devil. There were undoubtedly many of the people in that crowd who wanted Jesus to be their savior from sin, not from any worldly government. They trusted in him for their spiritual salvation, not really their worldly salvation. They were spreading their garments on the road in front of Jesus. They were, they were shouting out all of these words of praise. They waved palm branches in honor of Jesus, again, giving him that that praise and honor that he deserved. And Jesus was so deserving of all of this praise that he told the Pharisees that, that even if all the people would be quiet, that the stones, 
the stones themselves would cry out in joy. Think about your own praise of Jesus for a moment. Do you praise him when things are good, when things are going well for you in your life, when when we have what we want? Does our praise of Jesus focus primarily on earthly things, on worldly things, and not on, on heavenly blessings? Granted, our Savior does take care of us in our and our earthly needs, and, and we do praise him for that. But consider the greater needs that Jesus takes care of, our spiritual needs. We know that, that by nature, the way we're born, we're supposed to die. We're supposed to die eternally. Did Jesus save us from suffering that hell? We know that, that we deserve punishment for, for each and every sin that we commit. Did Jesus take the punishment for each and every sin that we have committed and ever will commit? You know the answers to those questions. Jesus did suffer the hell that we deserved. He did take the punishment that we deserve for every sin we commit. And we praise him for that. That's part of the reason why we're here in church, to give him thanks and praise for all that he's done for us. Jesus needs our thanks and praise because that's what thankful people do. They give praise to their Savior. It's the praise that he deserves. He needs it. Jesus needed the colt that day as he rode into Jerusalem to show his humility and also to to fulfill a prophecy. And he needed the honor and the praise that that was being given to him because he is the only one worthy of that honor and praise. Jesus also needed to be in Jerusalem to die. As I mentioned before, Jesus knew exactly what was taking place here. He knew what was going to be happening at the end of the week. The religious leaders, they had been plotting and planning for a long time to try to figure out how to get rid of Jesus. And they finally were going to get what they wanted. They were going to get rid of him. But what the religious leaders really didn't pick up on was that it wasn't their plotting and planning that was going to bring this about. Jesus wanted to die. That was the plan all along. It didn't matter how much plotting and planning the religious leaders had done, Jesus was going to die, maybe even despite them. Why Jerusalem? Well, think about what was the most important building in Jerusalem? The temple. The representation, the the physical representation of God's presence with his people. The temple. The place where the people came to offer sacrifices. It's hard to imagine how many sacrifices were offered in the temple throughout the centuries. When you look at the Old Testament book of Leviticus, which details the worship life of God's people for the Old Testament times, it's amazing how many different sacrifices, how many different offerings were supposed to be made. There were burnt offerings and peace offerings and sin offerings and trespass offerings, grain offerings. 
Every day there had to be a lamb sacrificed in the morning and in the evening. And when you look at all of the rules, all of the laws that God laid out about their worship life, one-sixth of them dealt with all of the sacrifices that they were supposed to make. So in Jesus' day, you went to Jerusalem to make a sacrifice. You had to. It was God's law. So where else would Jesus have gone to make his sacrifice, to sacrifice himself, the one whose sacrifice would be the end of all of the sacrifices that had been made throughout the centuries. It was fitting for Jesus to die in Jerusalem. It had to be Jerusalem. And it was also fitting fitting for him to die in Jerusalem during this Passover time. As we talked about back on Ash Wednesday, Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover. He was the true Passover lamb. And so he was the one who had to come and die to take away our sins. And he needed to die in Jerusalem. As I mentioned before in the other gospel accounts, there are different things that are brought out from this account of this Palm Sunday event. One of the things that we hear the people were shouting, which we didn't hear in Luke's gospel, but we know they were shouting, Hosanna! Now, Hosanna was not just a word of praise. If you really want to think about what it means, it it was, save now we pray. It was more of a prayer than it was a praise. And isn't that an appropriate cry? The people who were shouting Hosanna, they needed Jesus to be their Savior. That applies to us also, doesn't it? We know that we sin every day. We need Jesus to forgive us, to save us from our sin every day. Jesus needed to die. We needed him to die. So when we shout, Hosanna, we know that Jesus answers us. We know that he forgives us, that he does save us. His death means our life. Jesus needed to ride on that colt. He needed the praise and the honor of the people that day. He needed to die in Jerusalem. We need him. Amen.